So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, that's where we are. Who's the gatherer or the teacher or the preacher we talked about last time? And it's a Solomon at the end of his life <clears throat> declaring to us the things that he has learned. And it's a specific lesson, you know, he has been studying what's life like without eternity in mind, without Jesus in mind. And I would not call it a popular book. It's not one of them where it's like probably on your top ten of, ooh, you know, Ecclesiastes isn't up there. It's not like a Psalms. You know, a Psalms, it seems like you can turn to Psalms and it has a lot of good information, a lot of verses that we have memorized from it, a lot of of texts that we know and are familiar with. Proverbs, the same way. There's a lot of proverb texts that familiar with us. Genesis is a popular book. I would call it the four gospels, the book of Revelation. There's a lot of books of the Bible that we tend to go to that that are often there that, that we can go. And this is not one about them, but because it is a book about life, it's quote, quoted more often than you would think, because it is a book about life. There's a lot of sayings, there's a lot of popular sayings in our, in our world today that come from Ecclesiastes. There's a lot of sayings that you know that you don't even know, a lot of times we don't even consider that this is where they came from. Two are better than one. That's Ecclesiastes, we talk about that. You know, a Three-strand cord is not easily broken, Ecclesiastes. Everything's beautiful in its time. That's Ecclesiastes. To everything there is a season. Matter of fact, we even sing that one, right? Turn, turn, turn. You know, a time to laugh, a time to... You know, the birds. You know, we think that's a, it's a classic song. It's Ecclesiastes set to music. You know, it is there. And it's a, you know becomes one of the more known texts. Um, they live knowing that they will die. That's from, that's from Ecclesiastes. Uh, remember your creator in the days of your youth. That's... Quote from Ecclesiastes, Vanity of Vanities is probably one of the most popular ones that, that comes out of there. The end is better than the beginning, is an Ecclesiastes quote. And then one that we'll have for us this morning is that there's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes. And so there's a lot of wisdom that, that we have appropriated into our society, into our language, you know, from this book. And there, there's more you know, that, that will come from here. Um, but, but that's some of the more popular ones. And so we're ready for verse 8 of chapter 1 just to kind of overlap a little bit where we were last week. And I'll read down through verse 11. So chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that has been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it, is, it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any resemblance of things, or remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. So, uh, not when it rolls off the tongue, but it does make sense. Nothing new under the sun. That's, that's the phrase that we are most know out of that context there. And again, Remember, this is a book that searches for meaning in life without God. It's searching for a meaning in life without, in lo- without eternity. Does this life have a point without God, or does this life have a point without eternity? Short answer is no. That's where he gets to. The conclusion of the matter is, honor God you know, that, that, we, that we quoted. Does life, does life matter? Does life make sense if there is no eternity? No, it doesn't. Does life matter? Does life make sense if there is no God? No, it doesn't. Uh, that's what the wisest man who ever lived, the conclusions that he came to, and that's the point and the purpose of this book, uh, to say no. I'm just, uh, 
And I'm not ruining the conclusion of the book. We are going to that. It's at the very end, that chapter 12, verse 13, where he does give it. But I'm trying to help us make sense why he has 12 chapters that he does have. You know, if, if the answer is, no, why didn't he just tell us that? He's going to go on the exploration. We're from a scientific age, and we know how the process works. You know, you do it, and it should work, and it should be universal if it's going to be a truth, right? It's something that math works the same on the moon as it does on the earth in that way. You know, two plus two, it's the same everywhere. They might do a different formula to get there, but it should be the same. And so I'm just trying to help this make sense, to help this sad, depressing book, this hopeless book, make sense and give you some kind of hope, because it is a sad, depressing, hopeless book, if there is no God, if there is no eternity. You know, but, but that's why I'm going to try to keep it in remembrance that there is. So we're making sense and trying to encourage in our lives by using this text <clears throat> with knowing the end and in, 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 having the end, the conclusion in mind. It's what unlocks it. Um, it's to help fuel our fire. This is a book that if we study in the right context, it'll be a tool that we can have in our arsenal to witness with. It gives us hope. And it gives us hope to offer hope to others who seem like life is hopeless. That we can say, hey, I've been through this. Here's a man who's lived all that. I know the answer, whether we've experienced it or not. That's called wisdom. You know, to not having had to go through that experience and to know, it's like, I know if a truck runs over it, it's not going to be good. You know, and so I have wisdom enough to know that. And so we, we learn by that. And this is a book of wisdom for that, uh, in that matter, to, to save us the heartaches. And so... This is also a book where I can teach you a particular Bible principle and we can see it in action on a very easy scale. And that is, if you have a difficult Bible text, put Jesus in it and it'll usually unlock it. You know, if you have a difficult text, you're like, what does Jesus say? How does Jesus fit? And if you take him and you put him to that text, you apply him to the hard and difficult text, It'll then unlock for you, and you'll give, it'll give you eyes to see, and you'll have wisdom, and you'll, and you'll see how it pertains into things. And we'll have an opportunity to do that throughout this whole book, and specifically this morning. So Jesus is the key that unlocks the answer. It not only works here in Ecclesiastes, it works everywhere in the Bible. He's the main point. So if he's the main point, no matter what difficult text you're in, you can look. What does this tell me about Jesus? You know, so we don't just read for reading's sake. Hey, I read my 13 verses today. I read whatever. Read with thought, read with intent, read with what is this saying and how do I get this out of it? Some of them are harder than others, I'll admit. And sometimes you might have to read, you know, if it's a long dialogue chapter, you know, read a bigger passage to say, oh, here's how it all ties together. But this morning we have some of their little nuggets chunked in. So verse 8, it says, uh, all things are full of labor, man cannot utter it. And he talks about the eye not being satisfied or the ear. Uh, I think we all agree with that, especially if you're of working age. Get up, go to work. Get up, go to work. <laughs> Get up, go to work. Hey, it's Monday. You know, it's Monday, 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 Monday. All week of Mondays, a lot of times. You know, Get up and go to work. Get up and go to work. Um, I thought school was hard. And I got, you know, Christmas break and spring and fall break and a big old summer break, a lot bigger than you said children don't get. You know, we, we used to have a whole summer off, you know, from holiday to holiday. We had a whole summer off. It seemed like forever. By the time we went back to school, kids had changed. Who are you? Oh, well, you grew up over the summer. You guys you know, get two weeks off and see them again. It's like, you know, we, we used to have those big gaps of time in that way. And then when I got, went to work, I'm like, oh, yeah, Labor Day. Hey, you get a day and then you go back to work. <laughs> go back to work, back to work. Oh, you've worked here for five years now. Eh, we'll give you a week off, maybe two weeks off. You know, it's like you don't get much time off. You get up and go to work, get up and go to work every day because, you know, the bill needs paid. When I started work, I thought, I'll work here 
for a little while, and then I'll go do something adventurous, you know, run this way and move on to bigger and better things. You know, but to get to work, you know, I needed something better than my beater car I had going back and forth to, to school, which is what, maybe two miles, you know, that I was now driving 30 miles, so I had to buy a truck. <laughs> I had to make a truck payment. I had to make insurance payments. I had to go to work, you know, so I had to go to work. And then I had, had to, wanted to get married. I had to buy a ring. I had to buy a house. I had to go to work. Now it's like, I must go to work. I used to think, man, I'd run outside and jump over something stupid. We'd build big ramps and ride over our bicycles and ride over our motorcycles and jump them. I'd stick my head down in the stupid hole or jump, you know, dare each other to jump over this creek or slide over that and do whatever. And then as I got older and I had kids, I'd stand there on the bank of the creek getting ready to go, you know, with everybody else saying, yeah, go, Brian. I'm like, I got to go to work Monday. I got to pay bills. I ought not jump over that because if I get hurt, I can't do it. All of a sudden, I got responsibility upon me because I had burdens, you know, I had responsibilities. I had to get up and go to work. I'm still getting up and going to work. And so we have to get up and go to work. And it just seems like, oh, when's this over? You know, get up and go to work, kind of the saying is, and then you die. <laughs> oh, yay. You know, that, that, seems ho- that seems pointless. It seems hopeless. Um, life is hard. Then you die. Then they throw dirt in your face. We're just glad it's in that order. You know, but, but that's a quote from uh, um, David Garland. I don't know who he is, but I'm like, man, he, he nailed it. You know, that, that seems like, seems like what life is. You know, why? It seems useless. It's universal, too. You know, this side of the world, other side of the world, it can even go back through time. Get up and go to work. Get up and do it. You know, the farm needs farming. You know, the fence needs mending. You know, the water needs haul. You know, the got to have wood for the fire. You got to work, work, work. Work might change a little bit, but work continues. It's everywhere. It's universal all through time. Eat, sleep, work, die. You know, that's, you know, that's it. You're like, if that's all there is, it's vanity, it's emptiness. It's hopeless. It's pointless and useless. Oh. Because it seems like when you're working, start out with the idealism that I'm working for me. Then you find out you're working for the government. When you get your first check, you're like, they took how much? And they want how much more? <laughs> they took all that? Or it used to be you worked for the company store. You know, the store would pay, and then if you wanted to buy all that stuff, the company would sell you those things. And it was like, they just took all the money you made just so you could live to work for them. It's like, oh, yeah, that seems frustrating. Not much different now. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. Or we work for, we call it the elusive man. We're working for the man. We're paying the man, and the man's taking our money. Why can't I have my check? I know the first time my kids got their check was the same time I first got my check at the end of the year. You know, you get your review, and you're like, man, if I made what I made, I could live differently. But I don't make what I made. I work for the government for a good portion of the, the, the year. You, know, you, you do that, and they take it. And it goes away, and it's like, oh, it's a, we call it the rat race. Seems pointless. You know, it doesn't seem like we're chasing our tails. We're never going to make ends meet. We're never going to get enough. We're never going to get ahead. You're never going to get there. Uh, it's just always going and going and going, just always out of your grasp. So why bother? Some people don't bother. <laughs> but why bother? We should bother. It's part of the curse. Man will have to work by the sweat of his brow. One of the things that we're told. You know, you're, going to to do, you're going to have to work for your food now. That means that we didn't used to have to. It used to be plenty. It used to be abundant. Uh, we were talking on Wednesday night that uh, Jerusalem uh, is going to be under siege for a while. And God says, I'm going to make the ground give forth. You're not going to have to work. I'm going to make the natural seed that falls on the ground be enough for you for two years. Then after that third, into that third year, then you can go out and plant and work again. I'll take that back away. And so it's a blessing of God that the ground would give and you would have food around. Um, it's part of the curse. So Solomon is saying, if there is no eternity, and if there is no God, life is useless. You get up and go to work and then you die. He's right. It is. You know, it's like, why? It's just like, well, that's all there is. Now let's plug in Jesus. Because we know life isn't useless, right? We know it shouldn't be. There should be a point. Plug in Jesus to us. 
And all of a sudden, life has meaning. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus' plea to us. We're all living this life where we're getting up, go to school, getting up, going to work, getting up, and then you're going to die, and you're working, you're working, you're like, why, why, why? You're asking the question, why? Here comes the man from Galilee on the scene. Red letter here, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor. I labor. We all labor, right? All you are heavy and la- heavy laden. Get up and go to work. Get up and go to work. You have the burden of the job. You have the burden of the payments. You have the burden of the food. Burden of the support in the family. And he says, what? I will give you rest. The world doesn't promise you rest. My whole life, the threat has been, there's not going to be enough retirement for you. We're taking it all away for the people now. Uh, and the other generation is not going to work enough to support you. So I think my retirement age now is supposed to be like 67, preferably 70. I figured it'd probably be 90, you know, if that. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be work, 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 you know. And Jesus here has promised rest. That is different. That is an answer. That's what we seek, right? Why do I work all the time? Rest. You know, we work a lot for the weekend. What? Rest. A little, temp, a little little picture of what we are hoping for in our life. You work for retirement. I remember th- something that stuck out for me uh, that Dad would talk about uh, when he was working for Lilies. He would see on the, on the board, uh, I think it was a message board or something, but so-and-so would retire. Two weeks later, there would be their obituary. It's like they worked their whole life to retire. Two weeks, a month later, maybe a year. They got to enjoy a year, and then they were dead. It's like, oh, it just seems so pointless. You know, enjoy life while you've got it. Solomon comes to some of those conclusions. Jesus says, I'll give you rest. Come to me, I'll give you rest. I'll, I'll help you in your labor. I'll make this burden easy. That's what he goes on, verse 29. Take, your yoke, uh, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me work with you. Let me live a life with you. And Jesus says, I will make your work burden not so, work, you know, not, not so hard, not so pointless. You know, it does help when you know you're doing something for eternity's sake. It does help when you know that you are investing in another life or giving towards someone else and helping in that way. It makes it so much, it means more. And he says here, he says, I will help you. I'll give you the insult. And knowing that you are working for him and not really your jerk boss. You know, if you have the jerk boss or your jerk supervisor, if you're not doing, if you're doing things and you're saying they don't see it, they don't appreciate it, knowing that he appreciates it and that he sees it and that he'll reward you openly for the things that you've done in secret for him. Man, that makes work a lot easier. Knowing that if, if that they never see it, they're never going to acknowledge it, that he sees it. And that he says, I will acknowledge it. Ah, that makes your job a little easier. That makes life have a little more purpose. Uh, that, that makes it a little more restful knowing that, Lord, did I please you today? I sought to please you today. And then you have a rest. You have a sleep. Uh, one of the conversations I hear at work a lot, you know, from the lost workers is that, they have trouble sleeping at night. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> Generally, I don't. You know, every once in a while I do. But from general, I don't. You know, and I'm glad for that. Rest is a reward from the Lord in that way. Here he promises rest. In John 10, 10, Jesus said that he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So it's not just get up and go to work and go to bed, that you have a life abundantly. He's, he, he promises you more. He promises you more than this. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2.9, I have not seen, nor ear hath heard, uh, uh, ear hath heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. He promises you more. He says, there is a point. There is a goal. There is a reward at the end of this. It's not just get up and go to work and then you die. He goes, I promise you rest. 
Heaven's called a place of rest. It's called a place of reward, a place of comfort, a place where you can take a breath. You know, we think of rich man and Lazarus in the parable, that he sees them being comforted. He has water, he has refreshment, he's being taken care of by others. Oh, and yet the rich man's over there still, I need water. Jesus says, I promise you rest. I promise you water. I promise you uh, comfort, rest in our life, more in this life, purpose in our life, a point for our life. Live it right. Jesus says, and I'll reward you. Don't just live your life. Well, I got up and go to work. I did all that. And if you did it right and you do it within his rules, you do it to please him, he says, I'll reward you. Reward at the end. I like that. You know, and so he promises that. Revelation 14, 13 says, those that die in the Lord rest from their labors and their works do follow them. What you do now does matter. It's not like, well, you got up and you worked all those years. It didn't matter. It didn't make a difference. You know, people still owe. Things still need built. You know, things are still broken. More things get printed. You know, whatever else. The mail still gets delivered. All these different things go on. They, they continue on after you. But he says, your works will follow you. I will know who you are, what you are. I'll know how you've worked. And it'll be rewarded. And you'll be rewarded for it. And your works will follow you to heaven can't take it with you you can take it with you a little bit you can work ahead you can have a pattern for your life that jesus says he'll reward and it sets you up for eternity in that way yes we all have salvation but he says i want to reward you reward you with a responsibility reward you with um, different labors and jobs for him uh, reward you with different rests and comforts i don't know i have not seen ears not heard <laughs> but i sure like the idea of it you know and so he promised it to us so how you live now does matter in light of eternity so to answer Solomon's question, yeah, without God and without eternity, yeah, it's, it's empty. It's pointless. It's a circle that keeps coming around. In light of eternity, it all matters. In light of God, it all matters. And Jesus Christ is the key that gives us that eternity if we repent and trust in him. So no eternity, yeah, it's a stupid waste of time. <laughs> it's like, well, why, why aren't I on a beach somewhere, you know, <laughs> and, and bumming for food? Yeah, it's like, no, but you know, instead I'm in cold Indiana because it has a point. Paul said... Uh, if it doesn't matter, if there is no eternity and there is no God, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. But that's not true. We're going to die and we're going to spend eternity someplace. And so we live for Him. We're to eat for Him. We're to live for Him. We're to work for Him. We're to plan for Him. We're to, we're to do all these things for Him. And so life does have a point and does have a purpose in Christ. And so yeah, it seems like a depressing statement. It seems depressing when you go through it thinking about it. But in light of eternity... In light of the promises that Christ has made, I'll give you comfort, I'll give you rest, I'll give you more to this life. Ah, it seems like a thrilling adventure awaiting for you, right? And I think he's put that in us. He's put it within us to draw us to him. So if we live for Jesus, it changes everything. It changes everything. That's why we have that joy that is full within us. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So work all of a sudden makes sense. Verse 9 says, The thing that has been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no uh, new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, and, and that, uh, that w- old time which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after him. Nothing new. He says, there's nothing new. I know, I've wrestled with that a lot. I've done, I did a message not that long ago, Labor Day, um, or Memorial Day, uh, about that. There's nothing new, not even Batman. It's online. You can look at it. So it's like storylines and plots. There's nothing new. 
But people are always seeking new. It's something that God's put within us. They say the average person changes their job every five years. Twelve times within your work career, you'll change your job because you're looking for something new. Only to find it's the same at a different place. Different people, different place, maybe a different pay. I don't know. Same thing, same thing. Um, You get the same troubles, same bosses, same people around you. Just different people, different faces. And it takes you five years to learn that, and so then you start planning for your next one, and you change again. This is a lot of people who, you know, who go with that standard spend more time planning for the next thing and then investing in the one that they have uh, to try to make it better. So, but it's, you know, it's, I'm work printing full-time. My wife's medical. Um, we've got a son in the government. We've got a son in construction in that way. And as we talk of an evening and we talk about our days, how it was, same thing. Same people, different workplace, <laughs> maybe different gripes on the nuances of what the job is. It's the same thing. You get the same people. You get the lazy employee who does nothing. You've got the uh, griper employee who is never satisfied with nothing. You've got the brown noser who's always trying to make the boss look like he's doing everything while he does nothing. You've got someone who's obsessed with the air conditioner or what, how hot it is or how cold it is and always over there messing with it and, and complaining about it. You got the one who steals your lunch every time, or you got the one who's going to. Uh, uh, have no clue what he's doing as he goes around. And you're like, how are you even working here? You know, you're getting by there. You have those guys. You have those that are in the bathroom all the time or on break all the time or looking for the next break that they're going to have that time while he's watching the clock for the end of the day the whole time. And you have those that are sick all the time. You got those who gossip all the time. And you got those who you don't know what they do all day. How does that guy make a living? What is he even doing? It seems like it's the same matter walk workplace, right? A lot of you are smiling because you're like, yeah, I know those guys. I know those people. We know who they are. It's the same, 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 different place. Nothing new, just a slight variance. Verse 11 says, There's no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of the things that shall come from them that come after them. My great-great-grandfather, I did not know. But he got up and went to work every day, whatever that was, whether it was on the farm or uh, a particular thing, Dad might know. But he did his job and then he died. And then my grandfather did his work, supplied for his family. And then he died. Then my parents work until they retired. Now I work and my children work. I don't know what my great-great-grandpa did. I know a little bit what my grandfather did. I know what my dad did. But as it gets further back, the less I know about what they were doing and what was going on. They had a whole life that I don't know much. I'm thankful for my dad doing his genealogy studies and there's some stories that we can read and account. And to me, there is something pretty special about knowing some of your family's history, something in the past that has happened that way. Um, Little traits uh, that you can see that are familial as it goes through the line. I can remember when Levi was running, he'd be running these little, and we had a picture of Beetle, Beetle, Beetle Bailey. I cut out of the newspaper because they had him drawn there. It looked just how Levi run, and, and my mom would say it looked just like how her dad, how he ran, how he kind of pulled his elbow up and did this certain way. It was kind of like, oh, you know, we never knew her dad. You know, he died when mom was young, and so, but to see that family trait still passed down, it's kind of neat in that way. You know, but stories and lives that we don't know. But I'm sure we're in a similar pattern as they go down. Um, part of when our family goes down to Kentucky is that we visit the graveyard. Every time we go, there's a lot of tombs around there. There's our family tombs. There's times where I can remember standing around those graves when my grandparents died, when aunts and uncles passed away. There's stories of relatives around there that I don't know. Uh, I, I never knew them. I know their stories. The ones that got killed and drunk driving on a horse. Yep, happened back then too. Uh, we got ones that got killed and died because they ate too many apples. Um, diarrhea kill you. Uh, you had ones that, got, that were checking, checking their traps that, that caught the flu and died. You had one that died because he shot his way out of a courthouse. 
Yeah, don't make us mad. Uh, and so we got all these different ones, you know, that had all these different things. And then there's the ones we don't know. And then there's some that are just a rock. And there's a couple of them, it's just a rock, nothing on it. You know, the family probably couldn't afford it. Or maybe the time of the year, whatever. It's just a rock they put there to mark that someone's buried. And I can remember being young and dad saying, who stood here and cried? Who, who stood here at this rock for this life and what they did? And I still think that. And every time I go there and I'm like, a whole life was lived and there's a family and there's memories and there were tears, even in my family as they stood there. And I'm like, and I don't know them. There's no remembrance. It's not something that, that lasted for eternity, unless they did something for eternity. I bet you I know those stories someday. I bet you I get to hear them. I get to hear those tales of how it went down and what was going on in the life that they lived. All of a sudden, those things that didn't matter, didn't remember, they do matter. Christianity makes a mark for eternity. That's cool, I think. And so it seems like whatever's new, and as we're standing there mourning in the graveyard, you're thinking, it's not new. Somebody else is mourned, and somebody else is mourned, and somebody else is mourned, and somebody else is mourned. And it just doesn't stop, and the cycle's going to be where this empty spot is, someone's going to be filling it. Nothing new. If you look at movies, if you look at books, if you look at novels, it's the same plots, different characters, right? Different setting maybe, but you get your same points. Bump, 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 bump. It's a formula. As a matter of fact, you can study, and you plug it in with the various details in that way. Nothing new. Star Wars is a cowboy and Indians movie set in space. You know, it's, like, it's just the same story put out there. And the cowboys and Indians story is the Spartans versus the Athenians set in modern day America. You know, so it's the same thing. It's a war story, battle story, that way. love stories. You know, we have all those. You know, Samson, Delilah, same, same thing. Same thing. On and on. It'll go on. We could go on all day about all the things that are the same today that have always been the same throughout all eternity. Life goes on the same year after year. Uh, we have a term for that. Sometimes when you get in that spot, you're like, I've done this before. Deja vu, vu, right? Oh, it seems like I've been here. We've had this exact conversation. I've been in this exact building. I've been in this exact place. Deja vu. It's French for same thing. Yeah, this is the same thing we've did before. We've had the same conversation. We've gone down the same line because we're at the same place. Every Thanksgiving, you meet the one cousin, you talk about the same thing, right? Because you see him once a year. And you're like, this is deja vu. I know we did this last year with varying details. It just seems like some of that lulls us into safety. And there is something comfortable about the same. Sometimes the false security, oh, America, there's no war. We have no war on our shores here. That's a lie. We've had many a war on our shores here. But we're lulled into safety in our recent memory. We haven't had a war. It doesn't mean one's not coming. And so we get kind of lulled into a stupor saying we don't really remember the time when we had this battle and the battle of this and the battle over there, the Civil War, the Revolutionary War. And we've had a lot of wars here. And yet we think like, no, we've never had. Yeah, we have. <laughs> No one's ever attacked us in modern day. Yeah, yeah, we have. You know, we did, did in World War II. They, they did now. So there's a lot of things that uh, get suppressed but are down there. But we're denial. Or we're, we're, we deny ourselves that we're going to live forever. That's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to die. We all know that it's dying. It's one of the quotes from Ecclesiastes. Death is coming. We loom on it. We just kind of like to not think about him. Solomon's trying to tell us to think about him. You need to plan for that day. You need to plan for death. Because if it's just here and now, it's vain, it's empty, it's nothingness. But, but if we apply Jesus to this, nothing is new under the sun, flips it on its head. It turns it around. It takes the doldrums of nothing ever changes, life is always the same, it has no point, no purpose, to new and exciting. It, it takes the dullness and it makes it alive. It takes... Uh, the, the monotony of, oh, I know how this is going to play out into a mystery where I don't know what the end is. 
And I like that. It takes the sameness and it makes it unique. Let's put Jesus in this. If you put Jesus in your life, what does He say? Does He say, hey, welcome to the same old, same old, but now I'm your king. He doesn't say that. He says, I give you a new name. Something new? I give you a new name. I give you a new heart. I'm going to take out your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a new heart. The things that you didn't know, you don't know anymore. You, know, you might have to wrestle with them. But here's a new heart with new passions, new desires, a new will to live for me. Here's a new life. We call it born again. Here's a new life I give you. Start over. Start fresh with a new understanding that all this was leading towards death and destruction. New life. Live it for me. Born again. You have a chance to start again. In Christianity, we have a chance every day, every morning. Renew it every day. Lord, I'm living for you today. Help me. Give me strength today. He's promised us a new home. All of a sudden, this world is not our home anymore. Our home is someplace we've never been, and yet we yearn for it. We long for it. We live for it. We're to send our things ahead because it is there. It gives us a point and a purpose to live. It's something new, something we've never seen, someplace we're going to go where eye has not seen and ear has not heard, what God has prepared for us. New and exciting world. We have a new help. We're no longer on our own anymore. We have God on our side. We have the angels fighting for us, surrounding us. We have fellow believers praying for us, interceding on our behalf. You're no longer alone and separated and by yourself. You're among family. And God is there. And there's something about that newness of knowing that. You have a new meaning to live. It's no longer just for you or just for your paycheck or for that truck or for that car or for those kids or for that guitar or for the house or for whatever the things it was I wanted, the three-wheeler I had to have and all these different things. No, you're living for new things. Living for others. If we're doing it right, right? So that others might know, so that others will hear, and so that others will understand, and so that others can come to know Him. To help others, to encourage others, for the Haitians we've never met. You know, for those in New York that they don't know where we're going to come across. The young people that come through the camp down there. To those in Turkey who the missionaries aren't there yet, that will be prepared for when they get there, that they'll hear the gospel and come to know him. A life that is not for ourselves. Not a day-to-day, hand-to-mouth living, but living for eternity. Living for him. Living for eternity makes all the difference in the world. It unlocks Ecclesiastes to say, oh, what a wonderful life we have planned for us. He says he'll make a new covenant with us. Matter of fact, we have a whole book, a New Testament. It's a whole new covenant where he makes new rules and new things where the old don't apply anymore. We have new that has applied into us, new life in Christ. We have that given to us. We are given a new nature. That's why we have the war within. The old man's trying to live and the new man's trying to put him down so that I live like what I'm supposed to be in this new life in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. So we have that new, new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. We, we have that. We have this new nature, and now we have a new purity, a freshness, a starting over, a sinless state in that way. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. We have a new purpose that's talked about. We have a new point to live. And Jesus makes the promise in Revelation that he says, Behold, I make all things new. So it's not the same old, same old. It's not like we're stuck, stuck in a rut of destruction and pointlessness and emptiness and why bother? And so I should just live for myself. There's a life that does have a point, that does have a purpose, that does count for eternity if we live it for him. And he says, I'll make it new. And he promises us even more. He says, here's a new heaven. Here's a new earth. 
Here's a new Jerusalem, a city that you will live in, that he makes, that we can have in that way. He promises us all things new. It's such a contrast. It unlocks this, the sameness and the monotony of, oh, there's nothing new under the sun, to all of a sudden, here's an adventure. Here's something new. Here's a mystery for you to explore and never satisfy the newness of searching and finding out. I don't know about you, I like a new movie. I like a new book. I like a new story. I like a new place on vacation. I like a new hotel room. I like fresh sheets. I like, I like the new. The new seems good in that way. I like to experience it. There's sometimes there's familiarity. You like to go to the same places on the beach and enjoy that. But we also like the new experiences that we're going to have that week. If you go with new people and this newest thing. To have a future of newness, of an unexplored mystery, to have a God that you'll never attain to, you'll never fully understand, never comprehend, to study and learn from forever. It's a new life. Verse 9 is the key here. At the end of the verse, it says, There is no new thing under the sun. See, we transferred where we live. When you repent and trust Christ as Savior, we no longer live just under the sun. Uh, We're no longer earth dwellers. We're dwellers of the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. We're the ones that live with Him. We are called sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Our new home is heaven, and we will live for eternity, forever. Not here and now, just under the sun. We live for there and then, forever. Not just here and now. So why is life so hard? Why is life so boring? Why is life so purposeless? Why does life seem so evil and so frustrating? I think a lot of it's because it's God's love. To drive us to the point where we have to seek more to this life. So that we're not satisfied in it. So that we yearn for the more that is out there because we're made for more that is out there. To draw us to Him, that we would seek Him, find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. It's God's love that drives us. It's like an eagle. An eagle, when they make their nest, Elaine and I can see an eagle's nest just south of our house before the leaves come on. And it's a giant, massive, tree branch, branchy thing. It looks neat to see the little white heads that pop up out of there and they go back down. It's a big, massive thing in the tree. I'm, I'm assuming it's still there. It hadn't fallen down. They get heavy enough to, to break a tree, but it's some rough, brambly limbs. I don't look at them like, oh, I bet that's cozy. But when the baby eaglets are in there, they do make it cozy. You know, they line it with feathers and grass or whatever else they do. I don't, haven't studied the eagles that much. But they, they make it all a cozy little nest in there. But I do know this about eagles. When it's time for the eagles to leave the house... <laughs> They start taking out all the coziness, and they start making it a pokey, sticky place where the little baby didn't want to stay there anymore, living on mom and dad's dime. You know, that they want to go out and live on their own. And so they get they don't want to be in the nest anymore, so they stand on the edge of the nest. And then the mom and dad will fly in front of them, kind of like giving them their flight instruction, and they'll hover. Matter of fact, it's the word energize. They energize them. They show them, this is how you're going to fly. And they shove them out. <laughs> it's like so, and they make it to a place where they're not going to stay, so that they get out. Because an eagle's not meant to live in a nest. An eagle's meant to fly, to soar, to look majestic as it flies across and to do all that. And so push them out so they'll do that. So God, through the curse, is making life miserable so that we would seek the safety of home. So that we would want to find Him, where we would desire comfort, where we would desire rest. Lord, why do I have to work so hard? Because I have rest. Lord, what's the purpose of life? Me. Lord, why are things so evil? Because man is evil, but I am good. Come unto me. All you are weary. All you that are heavy laden. I will be your rest. It's his call. It's his, it's his, it's his things that he uses to drive, drive men to himself. That's where we're to put this in our pocket. 
We're to store this away in our ammunition. And when someone is talking about the hardness of life, the harshness of life, the monotony of life, the sameness of life, the unendingness of life, that I've been here before, I've done that before, the, the deja vu, the, all those things, we are now ready with an answer. You're like, you want to know a secret? Can I give you the key? Can I show you how this can be unlocked and you can have so much more? Can I tell you what you were longing for secretly that you don't even know it? And to be able to use it and use Christ to unlock this ministry, to show them what life is like in him. And then hopefully we have been living that out so they can see it. That there is more to this life because who we are and how we live, our testimony then becomes a part of uh, what we're sharing with them. And so, yes, we are made for more. And Ecclesiastes' point is to say, you're made for more. If you're just living for here and now, if you're just living for under the sun, that's the phrase he's going to use. Then it is vain, it is empty, it is pointless. But if you're living for him, it matters. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.